العالمين والصلاة والسلام على خاتم الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين صلى الله عليه وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين صلى الله عليك يا رسول الله صلى الله عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا أبا عبد الله غريب يا مظلوم كربلاء ما خاب من تمسك بكم وأمنا من لجأ إليكم يا ليتنا فيا ليتنا كنا معكم سيدي فنفوز والله فوزا عظيما قال تعالى في كتابه الكريم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم واستعينوا بالصبر والصلاة وإنها لكبيرة إلا على الخاشعين صدق الله العلي العظيم صل على محمد وآل محمد Respected elders, brothers and sisters Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh The battle of Karbala was initially supposed to take place on the 9th of Muharram. When Imam Al-Hussein arrived in the land of Karbala after he was intercepted by Hur and his forces, the Imam was rerouted to set camp in the land of Karbala. This was on the second of Muharram and as the days passed the army of Umar ibn Sa'ad continued to grow and the messages kept coming from Ibn Ziyad that Hussein has to make a decision he has no third option. He only has two options. Option number one is that he gives bay'ah to Yazid ibn Muawiyah. That he pays allegiance. 
And if he doesn't want to do that, option number two is war. Umar ibn Sa'ad is the cousin of Imam al-Hussein. He did not want to fight. He wanted to secure his political power as the governor of Array, which is in modern-day Tehran. And he was uncomfortable with the idea of fighting Imam al-Hussein. So he was trying to buy time. He was trying to convince Imam al-Hussein to somehow pay allegiance. As the days continued to pass, Ibn Ziyad was growing impatient. You've had him in your clutches for days and nothing is happening. Enough delay. Either Hussein gives bay'ah or you bring me his head. Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam, you know what makes the tragedy of Karbala so horrific is that Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam gave them other options. He refused to give bay'ah because for Imam Hussein to give bay'ah to Yazid would give legitimacy to this corrupt man. And the Imam could not do that. The Imam السلام, he said, listen, you don't want me to go to Kufa? Fine. You won't let me go back to Medina? You're afraid that I might have some plan to overthrow the Umayyads? Let me go to a foreign land. Just don't commit the crime of killing the grandson of the Prophet. Let me take my family somewhere else. But they refused. Not only did they refuse to leave him, they would not even allow him to leave Karbala. Here is where you either give bay'ah or you meet your death. Sayyid ibn Ta'us in his book, Al-Lahuf, where he chronicles the story of Karbala, he reports the following tradition. This was on the 9th of Muharram. The narration says, When Imam al-Hussein saw that this army is very eager to fight, they don't want to wait anymore. When Imam saw that his words were falling upon deaf ears, he spoke to them, he delivered sermons to them, his companions tried to open up their hearts, it was useless. When Imam al-Hussein saw that these people are not going to change and they're not going to allow us to leave, when the Imam saw that military conflict is inevitable, Imam, he turned to Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas and he says to his brother, إن استطعت أن تصرفهم عنا في هذا اليوم ففعل. Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas was Imam al-Hussein's representative. 
He says to Abbas, O oh Abbas, if there is any way for you to delay the battle just one more day, then do it. Try to convince them. Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas, being a man who is fearless, a warrior, the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib, the one who fought alongside his father in Safin as a teenage boy, a man who when he wore armor as a teenage boy, the enemies would mistake in him for his father, Ali ibn Abi Talib. Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas said, Ya ibn Rasulullah, what is the reason? He just wanted to understand what was Imam al-Hussein thinking? What was his thought process? Why should we delay? Because from a military strategy, it can be interpreted as a sign of weakness. If your enemy wants to fight now and you say, no, 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 give me more time. It can be perceived by some as a sign of weakness. So what is the reason, Ya Aba Abdullah? Why do you want one more day? Why do you want one more night? Imam, he says, I want one more night so that we can spend our final night with Allah. I want one more night of salah. I want one more night of recitation of Quran. Imam al-Hussein did took a huge risk. Any, any military expert would tell you that that's a risk. To ask for a delay. But Imam al-Hussein he wanted to send a powerful message to the world. And that powerful message is that the strength that you saw on the day of Ashura was because of the worship that took night, took place on the eve of Ashura. That strength that you saw from Abbas, that strength that you saw in Ali al Akbar, that resilience, all of that was because of our connection with Allah. It's because of that prayer. And the narrations say, on that night, on a night like this, if we were to go back to the 61st year after the Hijrah, on the eve of Ashura, in the plains of Karbala, the narrations say that the camp of Imam al-Hussein on the eve of Ashura sounded like the buzzing of bees. They were reciting Quran, Dua, people were praying, Ruku', Sujood. They weren't just sharpening their swords, they were polishing their hearts. And their ibadah was so impressive, so beautiful, so pure, 
that a number of men from the army of Umar ibn Sa'ad joined them in their salah on that night. Imagine the purity of these people where when they pray, the enemies want to join in their a'mal. My dear brothers and sisters, this was the secret of Imam al-Hussein. This was the secret of the Ashab of Imam al-Hussein. There are many people who are physically strong. But these individuals did not only have physical strength. There are many men who are physically strong. But courage, courage is a metaphysical quality. Courage is in the heart. There are many people who are muscular cowards. Courage is something that's in the heart. Malik al-Ashtar was a man of courage, but he was not a man of impressive physical stature. Because the greatest warriors are the ones who have this courage. And to have courage, to have true courage, is to know that you are connected to the source of all power. That's where that strength came from. And this is the importance of salah, my dear brothers and sisters. This is the significance of the prayer. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Instead of thinking of salah as this chore that we have to do day in and day out, start thinking of it as those moments throughout the day when the limited gets to touch the unlimited. Where the finite meets the infinite. There are many verses in the Qur'an that highlight the importance of this prayer. And Imam al-Hussein wanted all of us to know and to value the salah. He wanted us to understand that this relationship is the most important relationship. And you see that on the day of Ashura, they didn't even pray furada. In Islam, we have this concept of Salatul Jama'ah, the congregational prayer. Praying together. You know, if there's any time where you probably had an excuse to pray Furada, it's when you're in war, when there's a battle. But you see that even in those moments, Imam shows us the importance of community. In the Qur'an, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to us, He doesn't speak to us as individual believers. Allah doesn't say in the Qur'an, Ya ayyuhalladhi amana, O the one who has believed. When Allah addresses us, what does He say? Ya ayyuhalladhi amanu, O you believers. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses us as a community. We can't only think about our individual progress. We can't only think about our, or our individual spiritual development. Because if you think about Imam al-Husayn, everyone who was there was spiritually refined. But they were doing this for the community, for the future communities. Imam al-Husayn salam could have just signed on the dotted line, yes, I give my bay'ah to Yazid. Imam had a choice to do what is easy or to do what is right. And sometimes what is right is not easy. The Imam could have just given bay'ah. They would have allowed him to lead prayers in Medina. He could have lived a very comfortable life. He could have seen his grandchildren grow up. He would have been held in the highest honor if he just signed. But every day you and I have to make choices between what is easy and what is right. Take the easy way or take the difficult path. And many times we have to make these difficult choices. So the Imam السلام, yes, he had a strong relationship with Allah. But Imam al-Husayn understands that it's not just about me. It's about the future of my community. It's about the future of the Ummah. Sometimes we as individuals, we only think about what's in my interest. What is best for me? And over the past few nights when we're speaking about family, we highlighted that Islam does not want us to be individualistic in our outlook. You cannot just be individualistic. Sometimes there needs to be sacrifice for the greater good, for the common good. When we stand for salah every day, even when you are praying furada, when you recite Surah Al-Fatiha, what do you say? You don't say, You say, it is you whom we worship. Even when you're standing alone in your room, you still say, oh Allah, it is you who we worship. There's the we, even in Furada. Even when you're by yourself, you speak to Allah as a member of a community. We're a community. We're in this together. Every person who is in this caravan, we got to keep everybody on the same page. We got to move together. What's the use if we go far as individuals, but our communities are lagging behind? My dear brothers and sisters, today, one of the greatest struggles, one of the greatest challenges, Sallu ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. You already know what I'm going to ask you. So stand up and take a few steps forward. All the brothers, all the brothers, you could use a stretch. Stand up, stand up. I don't know about the sister side. If there's room, need to be, if room needs to be made, please do the same. Rahimallahu man dhakar al-qa'ima min Ali Muhammad.
a second salawat for the love of Fatima al-Zahra. In honor of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, a third salawat in the loudest of your voices. So community is important. One of the greatest health concerns of our time, it's not diabetes, it's not heart disease. One of the greatest concerns of our time, especially after the pandemic, is the problem of loneliness. People feel very isolated today. We've structured our societies in a way where we've stripped people of the benefit of community. Even our families are structured in a way where your family is only your nuclear family. Your husband, your wife, your children, that's your family. Islam teaches us that, no, you have a bigger family. You have Salat al-Rahim, you have your relatives, your nearest of kin, your community, your ummah. Loneliness today is the silent killer. There are many people who are in this majlis today. I know that it's very difficult for them to wake up every morning and to face the challenges of the day because there's no support system. They're trying to navigate this impossible world on their own. They have a problem, there's no one to talk to. They need help getting married, there's no one to help them. They're having financial issues, there's no one to turn to. And social media, we should actually start calling it unsocial media. We have more social media friends and we have less real friendships. The problem of loneliness. And this is why we see so many people have emotional problems. They suffer of depression. They have anxiety. They have mental health issues. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us as social creatures. And we thought that technology could re replace real human interactions. But we know that it, it can't. We need to be in the presence of other human beings. We need each other. And this is why many of you, you could have watched this majlis online. You could have watched it. You could have saved gas. You could have saved time, but you know that there is a big difference between physically being in the majlis of Imam al-Husayn and watching it online. There is a spiritual energy here that cannot be replicated. It's very different when you're sitting and you're crying beside your brother and your sister in Iman. It's different. It's a different experience. You should only attend an online majlis if you absolutely cannot attend an in-person majlis.
Don't ever think that you're getting the same benefit. So this need that we have for each other, for social interaction, is reflected in the teachings of Islam. You see, in the Western world, prayer is a very private affair. It's just between, in secular societies, prayer is just between you and your Creator. It's something private. Don't bring it in the public sphere. It's just between you and your God. But Islam encourages us to pray together, to pray in congregation, to stand side by side as brothers and sisters in faith. There's a beautiful tradition from the Holy Prophet where he says, where he speaks about the aesthetics of jama'ah prayer. Now you may wonder that why is it that we have to form these perfect rows? Sometimes you might think that, you know, why are we so obsessed with these little rules? Allah, so we're speaking to God. Why can't we just be scattered all over the place? Why can't I pray in this corner and you would pray in that corner? Number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to teach us how to be organized. Because if you're not organized, you're not going to succeed in life. You need to be organized. And the Prophet says, The Prophet says, The rows of prayer that are seen when my ummah stands for prayer, those lines, those rows, are like the rows of prayer in the heavens when the angels pray. Meaning that the way that we stand in salah mirrors the jama'ah prayers that happen in the heavens by the angels. We need to be more angelic. We need to be connected to those higher worlds. We were created for a higher purpose. Just because you were created, just because you occupy dunya, it doesn't mean that everything about you is dunyawi. There is something deeper to the human being. And then the Prophet says about the reward of Salatul Jama'ah. One rak'ah. In jama'ah, prayer is equal to 24 rak'ah when you're praying by yourself. And then the, then the Prophet says, كُلُّ رَكْعَةٍ أَحَبُّ إِلَى اللَّهِ مِنْ عِبَادَةِ أَرْبَعِينَ سَنَةٍ One rak'ah in congregational prayer is more beloved to Allah than 40 years of worship in solitude. It's the power of community. The benefits cannot even be calculated when we speak about Salatul Jama'ah. In another hadith, Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, one of the companions of the Prophet, he reports 
that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi once said, Allahumma salli ala He says, Atani Jibra'il ma'asabi'in alfi malak. The Prophet says, one day, Jibra'il came to me with an entourage of 70,000 angels. This is something grand. An announcement is about to be made. Jibra'il with 70,000 angels after the Prophet finished his Dhuhr prayer. And Jibra'il said to the Prophet, Ya Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. إن الله جل جلاله يقرئك السلام الله the Almighty the Majestic he conveys his salam to you and he wants to give you two gifts he presents you with two gifts it's a very lengthy narration I'll mention one of them one of the things that was gifted to the Prophet Jibra'il says, Allah wants to gift you with as-salawatul khamsa fil-jama'at. The gift that Allah wants to give you is that He wants you, He is allowing the five daily prayers to be prayed in jama'ah. And then the hadith continues outlining and describing the astronomical rewards that are associated with the one who prays jama'ah. Jama'ah can be prayed with two people, the imam and the ma'moon. The Prophet ﷺ, he says, if two people, husband and wife, father and son, two people, if two people pray jama'ah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala writes for every rak'ah 150 prayers. The Prophet continues and he says, if three people pray in jama'ah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the thawab, the reward for each rak'ah of that jama'ah prayer, if there are three people, each rak'ah, Allah records 250 prayers. If four people pray in jama'ah, Allah records for every rak'ah 1,200 prayers. And the numbers continue to multiply and multiply and multiply until you reach 11. The Prophet says, وَإِذَا زَادَ عَلَى الْعَشْرَةِ if there are more than 10 people praying jama'ah, meaning the imam and then 10 behind him or 11 behind him. And alhamdulillah, in most of our masajid, you're going to have more than 10 people praying jama'ah. What is the reward? What is the thawab? The Prophet says, فَلَوْ صَارَتْ بِحَارُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ the Prophet says, in order for you to even understand the reward for every rak'ah in a jama'ah of 10 or more people, of more than 10 people, the Prophet says, if all of the oceans, 
and the heavens and in the earth were converted into ink. And if all of the trees were turned into pens, and all human beings, and all jinn, and all angels were to be the scribes that try to capture that number, they would exhaust all of it and not be able to calculate the thawab of one rak'ah of that jama'ah. And people, they ask, where is the mercy of Allah? Where is the rahmah of Allah? My dear brothers and sisters, the question is, where, the question is not where is Allah's mercy? The question is, where are we to receive it? The mercy of Allah is like endless rain that falls upon us nonstop. There are some people in this life that choose to hold an umbrella. They choose to shield themselves. They choose to deprive themselves. I ask you, my dear brothers and sisters, a Lord who rewards his servants for praying jama'ah in this way, is this a Lord who is eager to punish? Is this a Lord that wants to see his servants enter the hellfire? Or is this a Lord who is looking for excuses to show you his special mercy? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is inviting us. He wants us to come to him. My dear brothers and sisters, jama'ah prayer is important for our families especially. It's critical for our families. You know, throughout the years, for over 10 years, families have been calling me with their problems. All sorts of problems. From domestic abuse to drug abuse, you name it. Any family problem you can imagine, I've heard the story. And when I talk to these people, who have these problems, who have these struggles, their stories are different. Their circumstances are all different. But I always ask all of these families one question, and I always get the same answer. There are a lot of differences. They have different problems, different issues. But they all have one thing in common. Do you know what that is? None of them were families that prayed Salatul Jama'ah together regularly. Salatul Jama'ah is the glue that keeps our families together. You see, brothers and sisters, we live in a world today where our homes are not even homes anymore. They're hotels. It's just where people come and they crash and everybody's living in their own world. Our homes are restaurants. People, they just come and eat. That's all we have in common with the people, with our families. We sleep in the same place and we eat from the same kitchen. But there's no family. 
The father is in his own world. The mother is in her own world. The kids, they live in the same house and they text each other. They don't talk to each other. No one eats together anymore. There's no communication. Everyone is on their gadgets. You see people at the bus stops, on the buses, at the dinner tables. There is no respect for the presence of another human being anymore. Everyone's on their gadgets. The family that is with you gets the least attention. And we give our attention, we've cheapened it, and we just give it to everybody. There are, study, there are studies after studies that have been produced that say that children between the ages of 8 and 12, the study was released a few years ago, it's probably worse today, kids between the ages of 8 and 12 are spending 4 to 6 hours a day on screens. I think this is probably a low number. It's probably more than that today. Teenagers are spending up to nine hours a day on screens. And we wonder why our families fall apart. There's nothing bonding us anymore. We have to make an effort, brothers and sisters, to pray together. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. O you who believe, shield yourselves, protect yourselves, and protect your families from fire. Protect them from harm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has anticipated that you will be exposed to harm. There are many things in society that can damage you and your family that are harmful. You have to have a plan as to how you're going to keep your family together. You can't, you can't leave it to chance. At minimum, at least one time a day, imagine, just think about this. Imagine you have a family. Before you go to work in the morning, before the kids go to school, the family, husband, the wife, the children, whoever's in the home, they pray Salatul Fajr together. Imagine you have a family where together as a family you start your day with salah. I promise you that day will be different. I promise you that day will be different. And maybe praying dhuhr and asr together is too difficult because everyone is at work, kids are at school. But at least maghrib and isha, before you go to bed, imagine the family comes together again and ends the day with Salatul Jama'ah. I promise you, we think that these things don't have an effect. This bond, having a, the father lead the Salah, or if it's the mother who's leading the prayer of her daughters, whatever it may be, sitting together, supplicating to Allah as a family, one of the best things that you could do is to make salah a family activity 
One day you have your son recite Adhan, the eldest. Another day the younger one recites the Adhan. Between Maghrib, after Salatul Maghrib, you have your daughter recite Ta'qibat. Your wife recite Ta'qibat. If you want to motivate your kids to be seekers of knowledge, between Maghrib and Isha, you as the father stand up as the spiritual, moral leader of your family and say to your family that I want to share a hadith with you guys today. I want to share a story. And then you have your kids do it. Tomorrow, you say to your son, your daughter, between Maghrib and Isha, it's your turn. Whether it's a verse, a hadith, a story. If we lived like this, do you think our families would fall apart at the rate that they're falling apart today? It wouldn't. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, when he speaks about the timings of the prayers, he says, أَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِدُلُوكِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَىٰ غَسَقِ اللَّيْلِ وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ إِنَّ قُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ كَانَ مَشْهُودًا we have five prayers, but Allah mentions three times in the Quran, which implies that you can join those prayers. Probably one of the most important prayers that we can offer is Salatul Fajr. Because in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a unique description to Fajr. وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ إِنَّ قُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ كَانَ مَشْهُودًا Salatul Fajr is witnessed. Salatul Fajr is mashuda. Now you may ask, I thought all of our actions are witnessed. Why is Salatul Fajr singled out as that prayer that is witnessed? The narrations tell us because there's a reason. The narration says, Tashhaduhu malaikatul layl wa malaikatul nahar. The narrations of Ahlul Bayt tell us that there are two sets of angels. There are angels that record our deeds during the day, two of them. And there are angels that record our deeds during the night. And the shift change happens at Fajr. When you pray Salatul Dhuhr, two angels are witnessing. The angels who record the deeds during the day. When you pray Maghrib and Isha, two angels are witnessing that prayer. The angels that record the deeds of the night. But Salatul Fajr is that time when that shift change takes place. And it's the prayer where both sets of angels witness the Salah. Let's take advantage of this time. There are many people who come to me and they say, Shaykh, I have a lot of problems. I have major hajat that I need from Allah. What do you advise? It's not my advice. Who am I to give you advice? Listen to what Imam al-Baqir salawatullahi alayhi says. And this can be very challenging because many of us, myself included sometimes, we pray salatul fajr and what do we do? We usually... Especially if work doesn't start for two, three hours, what do we do? We jump back into 
We jump, we dive back into bed. Right. There's no ta'qibat, there's no mustahabbat. You finish the taslim. As you say, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. With the ta' you're halfway in bed. This is how we are. We sleep. Imam al-Baqir, he says, stay awake between fajr and sunrise. Everybody sleeps. People are asleep at that time. But if you want something special from Allah, you have to do something that most people are not going to do. The Imam says about those, that hour and a half or so between Fajr and sunrise, the Imam says, فَإِنَّهَا سَاعَةٌ تُفْتَحُ فِيهَا أَبْوَابُ السَّمَاءِ This period between Fajr and sunrise is a period in which the heavens are opened. وَتُقَسَّمُ فِيهَا الْأَرْزَاقِ The extra rizq is distributed at this time. You want to increase your sustenance? You want to increase your rizq? This is when you pray for it. Ask Allah to open up the gates of rizq for you. And this is the time when you ask for those consequential things in your life. You ask at this time. You have your big problems. You save them for this time. And you pray and you implore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we do this, we will protect our families. Try it. Don't take my word for it. Try it for 40 days. Try it for 40 days. You have nothing to lose. You've tried everything else. Try this. Salatul jama'ah as a family for 40 days. And I promise you, Allah will shower barakah upon you and your family. And this is what Imam al Hussein teaches us. On the morning of Ashura, Ali al Akbar recited the Adhan. They prayed Jama'ah. Imam al Hussein and his companions, they prayed Salatul Jama'ah on that morning. They prayed together. Because you don't produce people like this unless you build them over the years, unless you bond them through worship. Tonight, my dear brothers and sisters, we recall the martyrdom of the beloved son of Imam al-Hussein, Aliyun al-Akbar. This is one of the most painful moments on the day of Ashura for Imam al-Hussein. Imam al-Hussein loved all of his companions, all of his cousins, his nephews. But there was a very close connection, a bond between Ali al-Akbar and Imam al-Hussein that is difficult to describe. Imam al-Hussein on the day of Ashura, you see when you read the maqtal, 
Whenever someone would come to him and ask him for permission to fight, the imam would usually turn them away. He'd tell them, no, save yourself. And if he would give them permission, he would do it reluctantly. Because Imam al-Hussein is a true leader. Unlike the leaders that we see today, when they go to war, they'll send everybody else's sons. But they won't send their sons. This shows us that Imam al-Hussein believed in his mission. Everyone else, they ask the Imam, the Imam says, no, please, I don't want to see you get killed. When Ali al-Akbar wanted permission, the Imam immediately gave him permission. But the narrations say that after the companions were martyred, because the, the Ashab of Imam al-Hussein could not allow themselves to live while Bani Hashim is harmed. The Ashab said, as long as we are alive, no one will harm Bani Hashim. And they fulfilled their oath. But now, the Ashab are gone. The noble companions have all been martyred. Now it's the time for the family of Imam al-Hussein to step forward. When Ali al-Akbar, Imam al-Hussein is standing there. Ali al-Akbar, he comes to his father. And he says, Sayyidi, ya abatah, oh my master, my father, ya Aba Abdullah, do you give me permission? The narrations say that Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam paused for a moment. And he just started to gaze into the face of his son. It's as if at that moment, time stood still. The narration say, فَنَظَرَ إِلَيْهِ نَظَرَ Imam al-Hussein, he looked at him with eyes of despair. He looked at him the way that you look at someone when you know that you will not see them anymore. The way that you look at someone who you know is going to leave this world very soon. Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam, he gives him permission. Imagine how difficult it was for Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam as a father to see his son putting on armor. The same son that was once a baby in his lap. He sees Ali ibn al-Akbar putting on his armor. And the Imam salam, he looked up at the sky. And he said, Allahumma shahad ala haulai al-qawm Faqad baraza ilayhim ghulamun Oh Allah, bear witness over these people that I am sending a youth into the battlefield that resembles Rasulullah in his appearance, in his character, and in his speech. 
علي الأكبر looked like رسول الله كلما كلما اشتقنا إلى نبيك نظرنا إلى وجهك يا الله أبا عبد الله says oh Allah whenever we would miss رسول الله we would look at the face of علي الأكبر Imam Al-Hussein السلام, is standing when his son puts on his helmet, he puts on his armor, he mounts his horse. Aliyun Al-Akbar, the son of Abi Abdullah, the grandson of Imam Amir Al-Mu'mineen, he draws his sword and he introduces himself to the enemy. What does he say to them? قال أنا علي بن الحسين بن علي نحن وبيت الله أولى بالنبي نحن وبيت الله أولى بالنبي والله لا يحكم فينا ابن الدعي أطعنكم بالرمح حتى ينثني أضربكم بالسيف أحمي عن أبي ضرب غلام هاشمي علوي He goes into the battlefield the narrations say that he fought like a lion even though he was thirsty even though he was exhausted he killed a number of the enemies but there is a moment brothers and sisters when Ali al-Akbar he comes back to his father he comes back to the tent he comes back to Imam al-Hussein Imam al-Hussein sees that Ali al-Akbar has returned from the battlefield what does he need what does he need from his father he comes to his father and he says to him أبا يا أبا العطش قد قتلني سيدي أبا عبد الله the thirst is killing me وثقل الحديد أجهدني and the heaviness of my armor has exhausted me فهل إلى شربة من الماء سبيل أتقوى بها على الأعداء Oh my father is there a little bit of water that I can drink so I can gain strength so I can fight the enemy of Allah Imam Al-Hussein he says to his son Ali Oh Ali, if you think you are thirsty, come and feel my tongue. Imam Al-Hussein, according to a report, he takes off his ring and he says to his son, Ali, oh Ali, oh my beloved son, put my ring in your mouth 
so that perhaps it can moisten your mouth and know oh my beloved son that very soon you will see your grandfather Rasulullah and he will give you a cup of water you will drink from the water from the hand of Rasulullah and you will never be thirsty ever again Aliyun al-Akbar he goes back into the battlefield the narration say that his mother Layla was in the tent she could not bring herself to look at the battlefield so what she would do she would look at the face of Hussein and she would judge what is happening to her son by the expression on the face of Hussein. Ali al-Akbar, he goes back, he fights and he fights, but how much can you fight when you are thirsty? How much can you fight when you are exhausted? He fights and ya mu'mineen, he is struck on his head with a sword. He's fatally wounded. He cries out to his father. Ya abata adrikni. Oh my father, come to me. Come to me. And then Ali al-Akbar, he says, Ya abata. Hatha jaddi Rasulullah. Oh my father, you were right. I now see Rasulullah. I see Rasulullah and he has a cup of water for me. But Aba Abdullah, your grand your grandfather says, Oh Hussein, Ajilil Quduma Ilayna. Oh Hussein, come to us, hurry to us, because there is a cup of water waiting for you, Ya Aba Abdullah. Imam al Hussein he rushes to the battlefield. He rushes to his son with a heavy heart. He goes to the body of his son. He cradles his beloved Ali. The narration say that Imam al Hussein began to weep bitterly as he held Ali al Akbar. He cries out, Waladi Qataluk. Oh, my son, look what they did to you. They have killed you. And then Imam al Hussein, what does he do? He puts his cheek on the cheek of his son. And he cries out, Ya Ali, Ala dunya Oh Ali, this world doesn't have any value after you. And Ali al-Akbar, his soul departs his body in the arms of his father, Imam al-Hussein. 
Imam al-Hussein, his heart was grieving. He was able to carry the other bodies back to the time, but he's not able to carry the body of his son Ali. So he turns to the camp and he says, Ya Bani Hashim, come help me. I cannot lift the body of my, my son. My heart is too heavy. They carry the body of Ali ibn al-Akbar. They take his body and they put him in the tent. At this moment, Sayyida Zainab, she says, where is my nephew? <laughs> When Sayyida Zainab enters the tent, she draws the drape, she looks and she sees the son of Hussein. His body is mutilated. There is a dead body in the tent. When she sees his body, she cries out, Wa Aliyah! Wa mazluma wa shahida. Ya Hussein, Ya Hussein, Ya Hussein. Sammil ke sada dunyaze Hussein, Ya Hussein. Everyone louder, louder. Ya Hussain, Ya Hussain. Ya Hussain.